Yesterday I was doing some house cleaning and the television was on. And I was moved to tears by what I saw on the TV screen. I heard a story about a man 39 years ago who was in a boat on a river with his wife. And they were out there and he had one of those, he packed a a lunch for the boat. He had one of those old-fashioned coolers, the wicker basket looking thing, not a cooler, but a picnic basket. And he had an old-fashioned Coca-Cola. And he went to twist the top off the old-fashioned Coca-Cola and the top of it got stuck between his college class ring and his skin. And so he went to flick the Coca-Cola bottle cap from off of his finger and I guess the moisture from that bottle was on his finger and his college class ring went right into the river. Now here's what makes this amazing. 39 years later, there's a man scuba diving in the river. He finds a ring with the man's initials on it. He looks up the college. He contacts them. They said from that graduating class, there's only two people that had those initials. One of them had passed away. He tracked the other gentleman down. He found out that this other gentleman, that the class ring was given to him as a gift by his mother before she passed away with cancer. And now this gentleman was dying with cancer. Now that momentous occasion with his wife, they had enjoyed many years of marriage and his wife was already passed away. So now it's him and his son and he's dying of cancer in a hospital room and someone brings him the ring that he lost 39 years ago. And you know it was amazing to see a man dying of cancer crying tears of joy. Because that ring reminded him of his mother who would given that to him before she passed away and reminded him of his wife. I just sat there and literally, I was just bawling tears as I was watching this story. I don't even know the man. But it was a contagious joy because of the experience. That there was a contagious joy that happened because someone in the midst of their trial found something to be happy about. Today, My message is this, that your joy may be complete. Would you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 15? Gospel of John chapter 15 says this starting in verse 1. Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. 
and it shall be done for you. But this, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Once more, verse 11 for emphasis. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. May God bless the reading of His Word. I'm going to make my way through this passage eventually to joy. But in order for us to get there, we've got to navigate through some theology that Jesus is presenting here that's going to take us on a winding course and it's going to start off with the sovereignty of God and our salvation and it's going to conclude with the fullness of our joy. So here's what we can say from the get-go. That if that's our ending point and grace and God's sovereignty is our starting point, then your joy is linked to your understanding of God's grace. So let's start there. I want to start by looking at verse 3 where he says, You are already clean. Because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now I'm not going to spend much time here on the doctrine of sanctification. Before our understanding, we can understand that the doctrine of sanctification means in the process of salvation, all of our sin is removed as we are set apart for God's purposes and made clean. If you remember the message I, I preached about sanctified is like washing your dishes in the sink and once they're clean they're sanctified and you set them apart to the clean place and you've got your other dishes in the dirty place. Jesus initial message in this passage to his disciples is that you are already clean. Jesus is not telling them how to get clean He's telling them that they are clean. This is transformational. If we can understand it this morning, that the rules and the, the structures of Christianity is not to make you clean. We're supposed to already know that through Christ we are clean. Can somebody help me today with that? We are clean. And that's what he says. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. So that abiding in Christ is initiated by the understanding that our sanctification is rooted in Him. The initial place of abiding in Him is the place of sanctification. Because once we're connected to the cross, we're made clean. Once we let go of the cross, what do we start thinking? I start thinking I'm not clean. And he says, if you understand the cross and the cleanness that comes from it, stay there. Stay connected. Abide in me. This understanding of sanctification is not the starting line simply for Christianity. It is the dwelling place of Christianity. It is the staying place of Christianity. 
You don't start at sanctification and then proceed from that. No, sanctification is the car. Sanctification is the vehicle that takes you everywhere. Sanctification is what you stay in. When you abide in Christ, you stay in that sanctification, that mindset that I'm already clean. Amen? That's where we must dwell. That's where we must abide. It's important for us to know that we don't come back to church and we don't come back to Christ every time we need to be made clean. The church is not a place for your spiritual laundry. The church is not your laundromat so you can bring your sins on Sunday morning and put them through God's washer and come away with a clean load and says, Yay, I went to church, now I'm clean for six more days. That's what some Christians think. And some Christians go sit in a little booth and they talk to someone through a little booth so that their sins can be forgiven. But praise God, my God's not in a booth. My God don't sit in a veiled, a veiled curtain. My God tore the curtain. You are clean. How does this sanctification happen? How does this abiding happen? How does the initial connectedness happen? Ephesians 5.25 gives us a clue. And he's talking initially to husbands, but then he starts talking about what Jesus has done. Here's what he says. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now he's speaking of Christ, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Having cleansed her. That the bride of Christ is already cleansed. That the bride of Christ is ready for presentation. Jesus doesn't just simply wait for the day of the rapture and then put a white dress on the bride. No, the white dress is already on the bride because the bride has already been cleansed. Sanctified her by the cleansing having cleansed by the washing of the water of the word. So how does it happen? It happens through God's cleansing this and through his grace and through his action and his initiation. It's by his grace that we are saved. That sanctification is an act of grace. That justification is an act of grace. The fact that we are cleaned and removed of all sins is God's grace in action. So grace is part of that initial starting point. And in order to understand that, we must abide in His grace because abiding there is what's connecting us to Him. By grace are you saved through faith, not of works. It's grace that attaches you to the vine. So here's what I'm going to try to demonstrate, that if grace attaches you to the vine, grace keeps you to the vine. The opposite of abiding in His grace would be what? The opposite would be falling away from grace. The Christian does not fall away from a religious mindset. The Christian who falls away from grace falls into a religious mindset. Enoch, this is going to preach right here. 
The Christian who falls away from grace doesn't fall away from a religious mindset. They fall into a religious mindset. And what I mean by falling into a religious mindset is they start looking at their self as the centerpiece of their relationship with Christ. They start looking at the structures and the rules and the religious stuff. All the, when I say religion, I'm talking about the man-made principles like pulpits. You want me to tell you who put the pulpit in the church? It was the Catholics. You know, the Anabaptists would not even have a pulpit because they thought it was Catholic. That a man was elevated above the normal people. You ever heard of the Amish, the Quakers? Guess how they have church in a circle together. No pulpit. And you know what the success rate for the Amish community is? 90% of their teenagers stay Amish. You know the success rate of people who use the modern pulpit? 90% fall away. That's a man-made tradition. You know Charles Spurgeon wouldn't even let an organ in his church. Because he said the Catholics have the pomp of the organ as their idolatry. He said, we will not allow that wickedness to enter the sanctuary. That's your tradition. Matter of fact, the early Baptists wouldn't even have a hymn book. They thought it was wicked to sing songs other than the Psalms that David wrote. They would have thrown that hymnal out the door and and persecuted you for heresy. It's your tradition. Those religious things do not define us because let me tell you something. If you can't have church while you're in a jail cell in prison, you certainly won't have church with pews in a pulpit. I talked to a guy yesterday. He's in jail. You know how he has church service? By someone preaching to him through the air ventilation duct. And he's in solitary confinement 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And his church is through a ventilation system. And I guarantee he has church. What happens when we fall into a religious mindset, we start looking at the things of men as what defines our Christianity and our spiritual experience. That's falling away from grace. Not falling into it. I want you to know that the fruit of the vine is not the source of being connected. But rather the connectedness to the vine, grace is the source of the fruit. It's not actions that define the connectedness to the vine. It's the connectedness to the vine that defines the actions. I've probably spent 70% of my Christian life reading these scriptures with a legalistic mindset. And what I mean by legalistic mindset is that I was basing my relationship with Christ on what I needed to accomplish instead of what Christ had already accomplished. As I read these scriptures with legalism, I was thinking that my relationship with Christ would be better because of me. And I wasn't focusing on the finished work of Jesus. I wasn't focused on sanctification. I wasn't focused on verse 3 which says I'm already clean. I kept trying to do things to get clean. And then I asked myself, if this is the kind of thinking that I was engrossed with all those years, how many other Christians are thinking the same thing about their relationship with Christ? I've seen far too many Christians who get saved by grace but then lost by their own legalism. 
I've seen far many, too many Christians who get saved not by their works, but lost because of their works. They fall away from grace and they fall into legalism. Because they stop looking at Christ, which put them to the vine, and they start looking in the mirror and thinking that this is going to keep me there. That's not grace. I didn't hear Pastor Dave's message on Wednesday, but I know that there are no stepping stones to grace, as he said. You don't get more grace as you grow. You don't hit some level of Christianity, and then God waves a wand and gives you more grace. Well, you've gone to church for one year with perfect attendance. Boom, power up, Mario. Doesn't work. There's no more grace today than the grace that saved you because the grace that washed away all your sin on the day of your salvation is the same grace that's with you today. It took more grace to get you on the vine than it will to keep you there. It's the same grace. The same grace that puts you on the vine is the grace that held Jesus to the cross. There was no more grace than was there on Calvary 2,000 years ago that held Jesus there and put his sin on, uh, your sin on him. So the grace that put your sin on him is the grace that puts his righteousness on you. I forgot to bring up my whiteboard today. I was going to write some Greek words. and Let me just explain it. The word in Greek for grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. The word for joy is kara, C-H-A-R-A. Grace and joy both have the root, which means God's favor. Grace and joy. Grace is C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. That's the root of charismatic and the root of charisma. My principal, when I was in first grade, came to the lunch table at school and said, Jesse, you have charisma. I had no idea what it meant, but I said, thank you, Mr. Principal. He was seven foot tall, literally, so I said, thank you, Mr. Principal. Charisma means a person of grace. That God's grace is in you. Charismatic means filled with grace. And joy is rooted in God's grace. Literal, the Greek root of joy is grace. An understanding of God's grace. I'm finished with point one. Fifteen minutes is not bad. Number two. I got the introduction out of the way. Now we're going to roll fast. His grace abides in us. Secondly, his word abides in us. John 15, 7 says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus is saying that one of the evidences or one of the ways that we abide in him is through the reading, meditation, and memorization of scripture, of the word. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. You see, the way you're going to be able to stay in the clean place and to stay in the mentality of grace and prevent yourself from falling into a place of legalism is by continuing in the word. 
This is why I'm so excited about the WANA ministry and the children and the impact it's going to have in the lives of our children and their parents at home for generations to come because I know that the word is so powerful that it literally changes people. That is, we're helping these kids on Wednesday night hide God's word in their heart. And as we do this on Sunday school with the children and children's church with the children, and praise God, I don't care if the nursery workers want to read scriptures to the babies. The word impacts us. One of the blessings that scripture is, is our life, is that God has provided us with the revelation of himself. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, if Jesus was right here with me. And what I want to say is he is. This is why Jesus is called the word of God. And this is called the word of God. Because when you spend time with this, you're spending time with Jesus. I've read so many stories of atheists who set out to read the Bible for the purpose of disproving the Christians and disproving God. But once they got into the word, they could not get out of it. The word is like a black hole for sinfulness. Once you're caught in the vortex of grace, there's no escape. We also look at the result of the word abiding in us. What does the scripture say? It says, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for us. This is verse 7. You will ask what you desire and it should be done for you. I want you to know that Jesus says the result of you being in the word is not that you're a more clean person because we've already seen that you can't get more clean than Jesus has already sanctified you to be clean. You don't get more shinier and more brighter and more polished and you don't spend time in the word and people are more amazed by you because you've got you know, a, a shiny Christianity about you. That's not the result. The result of spending time in the word is your faith. And here's what happens. Because of your faith... You are able to ask of God with boldness and with confidence. And this lifestyle of faith and the lifestyle of God granting to you the things you pray for does not come because you hit some magical grace level, but it comes because you have a proper understanding of God's unmerited favor. How many of you guys are on Facebook? Okay, let's say 40, 45%. How many of you have seen those people and, and they post a picture that says, repost this picture in 30 seconds and God will do you a favor? Y'all seen that? Well, listen. If God, is waiting on, if God is waiting to do favors because I repost a picture on Facebook, we're in bad luck. A, the other lack of understanding there is that God does a favor because you have done something for him. God is not a vending machine of grace. You do not come up to God's vending machine and say, God, I would like you to do something for me, so I'm going to cash in my deposit because I, I had perfect attendance in Sunday school last year. God, I've read my Bible every day for a solid hour. Now I'm going to cash that in and see if you'll do something for me now. It doesn't work that way. There's only one time of favor, one type of favor in the kingdom of God, and it's unmerited favor. Means you can't do anything for it. And my friends, that's good news. Because no matter how bad I've been, no matter how good I've been, it doesn't affect God's grace. 
When we remain in the word, we remain in the knowledge of God's grace and unmerited favor because that is the whole theme of scripture and the whole theme of salvation. If you will remain in the word, if you will abide in Christ and the word abides in you, that means you'll have a better understanding of God's grace, his unmerited favor, his sovereignty, and that he is in control of the universe. And whenever we wig out and whenever we lose our joy, it's normally because we forget that God's in control. It's normally because we start thinking that we're in control. And if I think that I'm in control, I'm going to wig out when things aren't going my way. But God is in control, my friends. His grace abides in us. His word abides in us. And here's here's the most powerful thing about this passage. Because God laid... uh, uh, a scripture on my heart and as I went and read my scripture I see what it really says because I knew the scripture says that your joy should be complete and your joy should be full but I didn't see why and verse 11 says why I have told you this so that my joy may be in you oh my gosh God's not telling me just to be joyful he's telling me that his joy is going to be in me When I think about the eternal existence of the Trinity, when I think about the essence of God's being and the characteristics that stand out or the characteristics that eternally emit from His being, one of the characteristics I cannot get over is is what must be the overwhelming joy of God. The overwhelming contentness and satisfaction of His own self. The joy that must emanate and proceed from him because of that. And I want you to know something about the qualities of God. They never change. They are not affected by time. They are not affected by circumstance, by emotion. God is not moved by circumstance. No, indeed, he is the mover of circumstances. I could talk to you for a while about Aristotle and his understanding of God as the unmoved mover or the uncaused cause. But I want you to know that Aristotle, hundreds of years before Jesus and before the benefit of Scripture, was able to peer through the chasms of eternity to see that outside of space and time, what he called the eternal form that was the basis of all existence was not moved and could not move. He understood that outside of everything that we are and outside of this universe that we do not see is something that is uncaused, that is unmoved, and that never changes. And that's not influenced by us. And it's sad that Aristotle have a better understanding of the theology of God and God's characteristics without the Bible than most Christians do with the Bible. There has been much damage done to the character of God. Through the centuries, as God has been presented as a vengeful, angry being that looks more like humans instead of looking like God. Probably the most widely and most popular circulated sermon that was ever preached in America was one by Jonathan Edwards called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. How many of you have heard of that one? They consider that that sermon was part of sparking the Puritan movement and the Protestant Reformation in America. And its title was Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. I think a better title would have been Sinners in the Hands of God's Anger. Because I don't believe God is angry. 
I believe God is love. God is justice. God is righteousness. God has anger, but he is not angry. Because if he's angry right now, that means he's different than he was before he created the universe when he was completely joy. And God does not change. I know of one particular scripture which is going to email me and you're going to say, the Bible says God is angry. I want to understand that it's saying that God has a characteristic that proceeds from his righteousness that shows anger. But it is not an intrinsic quality of God that he's angry. Because if God is angry now, then he's always been angry. And he created us out of his anger and not out of his love. The scripture says he is love. He is holy, holy, holy. He's perfect, complete, complete, content, content. Not angry. It would be foolish of us to present an image of God now that has been different than God's image for all eternity. And I understand what Jonathan Edwards was trying to say. And he was confirming with scripture that says there is wrath that abides on sinners because of their sin. But it doesn't mean that God's different now than he was before he brought us into existence. And I think the way that has been perpetuated through the preaching through the past few centuries comes off with people think that God's the big angry man with a big stick waiting to bash people. Like a cosmic whack-a-mole. He's bad. He's bad. God's wrath proceeds from his righteousness and his zealousness for his own glory. Imagine the perfect union of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit before the universe was ever created. Was he angry then? No. No. What does the scripture say for God was so angry with the world that he sent his son? No. Let me tell you what the most angry God has ever been was when he punished his own son and crucified his own son because he loved sinners. That was the ultimate display of God's anger taken out on his own son. He doesn't change Matter of fact, Psalm chapter 2 verse 4 says that God's response to the sinfulness of man and laughter, it says God sits in the heavens and laughs. I think God's happy. Does anyone else believe God's happy? That he is eternal joy and contentness and perfection and relationship and love and harmony? Because if God's angry now, he's going to be angry when we get to heaven. But everything I've read about heaven says it's a big party going on. He's not going to be angry at the party because it's going to be a wedding feast. When God breathed the word of light into existence, He already knew every action that you and I would take. And the amazing thing is He created us anyway for His glory. Lastly, I'm sweating like a preacher in church. His grace abides in us. His word abides in us. His joy abides in us. And all this happens because verse 11 says, so that your joy may be complete. I want to expound on that word complete. It can be translated full. It can be translated perfect. It can be translated in need of nothing 
else. Pastor Robert, this is going to go good with what God's laid on your heart. Jesus is enough because our joy is complete in Christ. If my joy is complete, that means no circumstance can add to or detract from my joy in Christ. If Christ is not moved, if God's joy is not moved, then in Christ, your joy should not be moved. That no matter how bad tomorrow may get and how many people email me saying they want the big pulpit back because when my wife's 5'3 and she stands up, Janice, I can't even see her. No matter all of that, the joy is fixed. And that's the decision that you must make in Jesus. No one will steal your joy. Not the devil, not angry neighbors with crazy cats running around, Miss Kathy. Not these little boys in my neighborhood who have lawnmowers that are made for a drag strip. Literally, ask my mom and dad. Five times every hour they go up and down my street with drag strip lawnmowers and big exhaust pipes that sound like the the Charlotte Motor Speedway. And they ride up and down, pulling each other in a trailer. Robert, you saw it. Were you there? I'm sitting... On my breezeway, eating lunch with my family, listening to the birds and the grasshoppers. And then a hundred yards away, I hear them fire up. And I know for the next 45 minutes, that's what I'm going to hear. But it doesn't steal my joy. I'm like, praise the Lord, the little boys are riding drag strip lawnmowers instead of smoking marijuana. I'm okay with it. Our joy is complete. The joy of Christ was found in doing the will of the Father. Because Christ knew that the will of the Father was perfect. Look at John 15, 11. Right before that he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Jesus kept His Father's commandments because He knew that God was sovereign and perfect. And by keeping His commandments, it was going to be the best thing for His life. So even though His purpose was to go to the cross, He could have joy on His way to Calvary and say, Father, forgive them, even in the midst of the worst trial we can imagine, because the will of the Father is perfect and that's joy. Because He knew this was going to... Purchase a bride for himself. Have you ever bought yourself a Christmas present? Maybe you've had a falling out with the in-laws. Maybe you've been sleeping in the doghouse for a few weeks and Christmas rolls around and you see that new compound uh, uh, crossbow at Bass Pro Shop. You say, I'm going to purchase a Christmas present for me. Why do you do that? Because of your joy. Can I tell you something? Jesus purchased the bride to present to himself. He purchased the bride at the will of the Father because the Father was going to give the bride to him. Because of his joy. The basis of our joy will be knowing God is in control. We have a responsibility, a mandate to be joyful. And literally joyful means full of joy. If my joy is full, if it's complete, then I'm joyful. I'm full of joy. I read a quote from Gandhi that said, If Christians really lived their gospel in India, there would be no more Hindus in India. 
And they would have a lot more McDonald's. You'll get that one by slow freight tomorrow. I think this is true. Also, I think if Christians really had the joy that Christ had, people would want to be Christians simply because they want to be as happy as as he was. That if Christians were really joyful as Christ was, that people would say, I want what he's got. I heard a story of the singer Rich Mullins. He was in Scotland. Rich Mullins didn't drink alcohol, but he was going after a show and witnessing to some guys in a bar. And they said that he was the happiest guy in the bar. And this Scot looked over at him and said, I don't know what he's drinking, but I'll have a pint of that too. (laughs) And he wasn't drinking at all. He had the joy of Christ. And what the world thinks is that when we walk around with a smile on our face and sing and praise to God, they think we're drunk. Bella's singing in the car yesterday on her way home from soccer practice. She's saying, making up a song. Oh, Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit. That's like some of you driving home from church. You're going to be singing that hymn. We say, go tell it on the mountain. Somebody looks over at you at a red light like. You go, over the hills and. They think something's wrong, but you're just full of joy. Unfortunately, that's not the image that most Christians present. Here's my last question for you Do you have that joy, joy, joy down in your heart? Down in your heart today? Because if you'll understand God's grace, you understand God's word. You'll understand the joy that Jesus had because of God's sovereignty. You'll have that joy too. We're going to have a time of invitation. The altar is open. You respond however Christ is drawing in your heart. I just pray that you'd be obedient. Let's pray. Father, our prayer today is this. That your contagious joy that has been in place since all eternity existed and has ever been there before the world began would infect us today. That that contagious joy and that contagious happiness and the the love for people in spite of their differences and in spite of their, their wrongdoings towards us, that that joy would just overtake everything about us today. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone under sound of my voice that doesn't have that joy, that God, most likely it's because they don't have you as Lord and Savior. So I pray that God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them and seek them right now and chase them and woo them. That today is the point where we say, God, I give up myself. I give up my religious mindset. I've been trying to do it on my own. I give up my legalism, my sinfulness, all these things I've been trying to do to grant access to you. And I'm going to believe in your grace that has called me by the cross of Christ and paid for my sinfulness. God, I'm going to trust in you today as Lord and Savior. Whatever you have to do, Father, may you have the glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand?